You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We've been looking at the parables in this chapter uh, for the past few weeks. There's seven of them. We've looked at four already. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, two more of them. And these two parables that we're going to talk about today are unique to Matthew's gospel. That is, he's the only gospel uh, writer to include these two particular parables. And so Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 44 through 46. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, we pray now as we have worshiped you through singing that we will continue worshiping you by being attentive to your word and what your spirit would say through your word to us today. And I pray that you would use me as your instrument. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been looking at these parables, we've noted that the theme of them is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, as we talked about last week, is God's people in God's place under God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's the reign of God, the power of God that is working to bring about the redemption of His people so that they will be in God's place under his rule. Now, the disciples had some misconceptions about the kingdom of God and how it was going to come. They thought it would come immediately and instantly. And when Jesus came, that he would immediately judge unbelievers and reward the righteous and establish his kingdom on the earth in the instant, immediate kind of fashion. But that wasn't his plan. Jesus told them a couple of parables uh, to give, uh, uh, told us these parables to give a peek into, into his kingdom. The parable of the soils, which we looked at, tells us that there will be those who believe and those who do not. And here Jesus is doing all of these incredible works to prove that he was the Messiah, the King, and yet the people were rejecting him. They would go to village and, village and preach, and people were turning away from Jesus, not receiving him. Why was this so? Jesus said it was because their hearts were hard. They were like that hard soil. There was an unwillingness to believe. And so he's telling them, don't be surprised as my kingdom comes that many people will reject me. They will reject my kingdom. In the second parable of the wheat and the weeds, we find that the believers and non-believers will grow together until the harvest. In fact, at many times it may seem like, as Jesus said, the weeds may have the upper hand that there are more unbelievers than believers. Certainly the case. Here the disciples were listening to this. They are surrounded by 
a growing hostility to Jesus. They're being rejected and persecuted, and there seems like a whole lot more of folks in the, in the world, more weeds. How will the kingdom ever survive in the midst of such weeds? The next two parables spoke of the power of the kingdom, that in fact, though the good and the evil are growing together, the good will triumph in the end. Like the mustard seed that grows to become a large tree, the kingdom would start small, but eventually it would encompass the whole earth. And, and the power of the kingdom, how will it spread? It will spread like leaven, Jesus says, like yeast that works uh, in the dough. You can't see it, 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 you can't see what's happening, but it is working, it's powerfully spreading. And so God's people and the power of his Holy Spirit as they preach the gospel, the kingdom of God would spread. MacArthur invites us to think about the parables like this. The first parable of the soils talks basically about the breath of a kingdom, that the seed is sown in the field and the field is the world. The second parable, um, the length of the kingdom of God. It's going to go on until the harvest, when it will be consummated and then last for eternity. And then the third parable, the parable of the mustard seed, talks about the height of the kingdom. It's going to grow so high. The birds will come and make nests. The kingdom will include the nations. And then the fourth parable of the leaven talks about the depth of the kingdom as that yeast works and in in influences the dough from within. What do these parables teach us? I think these parables point us to the value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. Jesus tells two short parables to explain this. The kingdom of heaven... It's like a treasure hidden in a field which, is, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It would have been a very common uh, circumstance in that particular day and time. Whenever folks wanted to protect something of great value, they often buried it on their property. They didn't necessarily have banks or vaults to go and secure uh, there, So they buried it. They wanted to make sure that there was an invasion from a foreign nation, that, that their treasure, their families would be hidden uh, from them. And so sometimes they would die. And without passing that treasure on to their families. And so the treasure would remain buried. Uh, very common in that time. So here's a man who is in the field working. He doesn't own the field. He's just working the field. He's just a laborer. He's just a hired hand, and he, maybe he's plowing, maybe he's planting, and he comes across a treasure that's been buried in the ground, and immediately he, he buries that treasure, and he goes and he sells everything that he has, and he comes and buys the field. Some have said that, uh, wonder, this doesn't seem exactly right. The man uncovers a treasure in a field that, that is not his, and then he kind of secretly... Uh, buries it, hides the fact from the owner, and then buys the field. It seems unethical. It would not have been, and, and, and according to that time and according to Jewish law. Uh, first, Jewish law stated that if a man founds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. We would say it like finders keepers, right? We say to our kids. So Jesus' original audience would not have perceived this to be in any way dishonest or disingenuous. Secondly, it's important to note that the treasure hidden in the field probably didn't uh, belong to the man who owned the field. It was likely he didn't know the treasure was there. It was probably, again, from a previous owner who had died. 
Uh, and so again, the law stated that the one who found it kept it. And then third, uh, we should note that the man could have taken the treasure and just split, right? But he buries it. He goes back. He sells everything that he has, which is quite a sum, and buys that field just so that he could get the, the treasure and you see, that's the point of the parable. A man finds something so valuable that he sells everything in order to get it. And he did so joyfully because of the value of that treasure. Uh, the, the second parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here's a man who is a merchant of fine pearls. Uh, this was his business. Uh, pearls were similar uh, to diamonds maybe in our day. They were the most valuable gems at that particular time. You remember Jesus said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, don't cast your pearls before swine, right? So he's making a comparison there about how valuable pearls are with something that in the Jewish eyes, pigs would have been the most defiled, disgusting, terrible thing. Uh, and so he's talking about how valuable it is. And you remember in Revelation, when John sees this vision of heaven, he talks about gates that were made of per pearl, right? Pearly gates, pearly gates. One day, this merchant of pearls discovers what essentially is the perfect pearl, the perfect pearl, so pure, so beautiful that it was priceless. He sells everything that he has and he buys that pearl. He doesn't sell all of his inventory because he found one pearl. He found the mother of all pearls. I mean, the be-all, end-all of every pearl, the pearl of great value. And he sells everything to get it. Don't get caught up in the details and, and miss the point of the parables. Jesus isn't giving us a case study of business ethics nor is he trying to give us uh, whether you should diversify or your investments or whether that's wise or not what this guy did. Rather, he's sharing with us some of the characteristics of the kingdom. And the main idea being this, that the kingdom is of incomparable worth. Each man sold everything that he had to purchase the field or the, or the pearl. When we talk about the kingdom, again, we're talking about several aspects uh, that, that are coming to mind. We're, we're talking about Christ. We're talking about the salvation that Jesus brings. We're talking about the gospel message that announces the salvation. We're talking about possessing the saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. We're talking about how precious this is, how wonderful it is to know Jesus and to be in fellowship with God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the, the beauty and bounty of being God's people in God's place under God's rule, and it all comes from knowing Jesus Christ. There's no greater treasure than knowing Christ. There's nothing more valuable. This is what the Apostle Paul said after experiencing every earthly success and merit badge that you can think of. He writes in Philippians chapter 3, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Christ is of surpassing worth, he says. This is the inheritance that Peter spoke of in 1 Peter when he talks about uh, the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading treasure kept in heaven for us. This is the treasure that Paul mentions when he speaks of the treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing greatness and power of God. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom uh, and his righteousness. This is the treasure, the gospel, the kingdom, this Christ, this salvation, this eternal life that we have in Christ is so valuable that only a fool would not sell everything he has to gain it. Think of the good news of this today. Think of the good news that we have to offer the church, that Christ has to offer the world. There, there is a treasure lying in the field of this corrupt, sin-cursed, and broken world. And it is a treasure that is so wonderful, so sufficient, so powerful to enrich everyone of earth's poor, depraved, diseased population. There is no better news, there's nothing more valuable in the big picture of things in all of the world than knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. It is why we would gather to sing joyfully, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I would rather be his than have riches untold. I would rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today the incomparable worth of the kingdom of God. Notice something else, though, about this kingdom. This kingdom is hidden from some. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, think back a few weeks ago when we talked about the purpose of parables. Remember, the parables themselves were a judgment on those who were rejecting Jesus. They sounded like silly old earthly stories. They didn't really make any spiritual sense to them. Why would Jesus be wasting his time with these simple stories? Because they didn't, they didn't want to understand. And in fact, they were not able to understand them. It was a judgment against them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the, the kingdom is hidden from some. It's not superficially visible to everyone. And we know this, right? I mean, I mean we, we know this, but it's good to be reminded. This explains why when the world looks at us, they don't fully understand 
uh, all about this business of worshiping God. They don't fully understand why we're doing what we're doing this morning. Why would you want to give your life to Christ? Uh, Why would you want to submit yourself to His Word? Why would you want to turn your back on the fleeting pleasures of sin when you can have those pleasures now? Why would you want to commit yourself to a body of believers, the church, and spend a great deal of time worshiping with them and serving and learning? Why would anyone value these things? So we see that the kingdom is hidden in its value from some people. They just don't see it. We see this in a couple of ways throughout the Scripture. Uh, The power of the gospel is hidden in its simplicity. The power of the gospel is hidden in its simplicity. Uh, Remember, Jesus, uh, his metaphor in in this is a, a seed, Many times it's been a seed, a seed so small, so unimpressive on the surface. And yet we know that this seed is power. It's the word of God. Paul talked about the gospel, again, being hidden in uh, ordinary jars of clay. From the outside, you wouldn't think, man, this this is worth anything. If you're just glancing at it, it looks like an ordinary jar of clay. It doesn't look like anything important. And yet we know that this word, this simple message of the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. It can save the sinner. It can revive the soul. It makes wise the simple. It enlightens the eyes. Church, this is why we put so much emphasis on preaching and teaching the Word of God in our church. This is is not a talk. I'm not here giving a talk on Sunday morning. I'm here giving a sermon to you from the Word of God. And and the reason is, this is not a variety show to entertain you. The power of our church is not in our programs. It's not in how we can attract the community or how cool and relevant we are. The power is always in the preached word of God. Paul wrote to Corinth, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The simple gospel message, so simple that a child can understand it, and yet the angels, the Bible says, long to look into this gospel. This simple gospel message not only has the power to save the church, it has the power to sanctify the church. We grow in Christ not by going beyond the gospel and moving away from the gospel, but by diving more deeply into the gospel. But the world, that, to the world, that just seems like folly. Why would you want to keep talking about the gospel for? Why are you so excited about the gospel? It just can't be that simple. There has to be more. Give me more law. Give me more of these things. But the power of the gospel is often hidden in its simplicity. It's, it's also the beauty of the gospel uh, is also hidden in ordinary believers. The beauty of it is hidden in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
What a great word. In other words, he's saying, don't be fooled by the plainness of the package. And you know who he's talking about there, right? He's talking about you and me, the church. Don't be fooled by the plain, plainness of the package. I mean, look around this, this room today. We are ordinary people, right? Go ahead, look around. We're like clay pots, he said. We're, 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 there's not a lot of famous people here. I don't know of any famous people here really today. We're just normal, ordinary people, a pretty plain bunch of people, just a bunch of clay pots that is gathered together in Mount Washington to sing the praises of our great God. The world might look at us and say, why in the world would you want to be with them? Nobody cool's going there, sorry. <laughs> Nobody attractive is going there. I mean... Why would you want to come and be a part of that? They see no need to come. They drive by our church every day, hundreds of them. Don't see any need to come. Sometimes when they do come, they hear the, the gospel, and they think, no, that's just too simple. Why, would you, why don't you move on to something else and preach the treasure that's been uncovered from them? They can't imagine that this would somehow be more valuable than the things of this world in which they are chasing. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 7, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's just too simple to believe. How can it be true? It's just too plain to get excited about just doesn't seem to be all that relevant and cool for today. But, but church, understand that we are the evidence of the grace of God. That you, you, you are testimonies of, of the fact that this gospel is powerful. And it is beautiful. And it is wonderful because it has changed us. It has saved us. It is changing us as his people. Even by gathering today, gathering in this room, we are witnessing to this community of the greatness of the treasure. We are showing forth, we have come to, to worship, which is the highest calling of our lives, worshiping our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we are showing forth that treasure. And when we leave in just a few moments, we begin to go our separate ways, we will carry this treasure in us like clay pots. And it will influence our lives. It will influence the way we talk. It will influence our actions so that we can say to the world around us, you know what, I have discovered a treasure. I have discovered something that has changed my life forever and ever. It is Jesus Christ and knowing him. Won't you come to Jesus? Come be a part of his people. He is the reason for our joy. Notice both of these men made a discovery. It was hidden from them, but it was uncovered for them. Both of them, by God's grace, they discovered something that not many people saw, a hidden treasure that was buried, a pearl uh, that, that, that was of great value. They understood something of that value and beauty that other people missed. You, you might even say in these parables that the kingdom found them. And once they were found by it, they discovered joy and gladly gave themselves to the king. Which leads us to a third characteristic. The kingdom is made personal by a transaction. By a transaction. 
In both cases, notice the word buying or bought is mentioned. Verse 44, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Verse 46, the merchant, it says, upon finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, remember, a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And so Jesus is not teaching here that you can buy your way into heaven. You all know that, right? You don't have enough money to buy your way into heaven. Nobody does. No one gets to heaven on their good works. No one. No one gets to heaven by their good family. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, Paul says, so that no one can boast. And remember, the kingdom, in a sense, found these guys. One guy wasn't even looking for it. He just found it. So whatever the transaction is here that Jesus is speaking of spiritually, it is not money and it is not good works. The prophet Isaiah uh, a great verse, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, invitation from God. It says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come by and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. How do you buy something with no money? There's a transaction that is involved here. But it's not with money. There's an exchange that happens. When you come into the kingdom, Jesus says, there's a, there's a transaction that must take place. And, and the transaction is this. You give up all you have for all that Christ has. This is the essence of faith and repentance. We talk about being saved, believing and repenting. Here's the essence. I give up all that I have, and God gives me all that he has. This is the only appropriate response, the only way to come into the kingdom. This is taught many ways. Jesus explained it like this. You're more familiar with this passage. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Do you see the, the truth of those words in these parables? There's a great exchange, isn't there? You see the great trading, denying oneself, putting Jesus first, losing one's life in order that you might gain life? This is the transaction that takes place. Think about your own journey to Christ. There was a time, if you know Christ, that when you encountered him and you heard the good news of the gospel. 
And some of you perhaps were like that first man. Maybe you weren't even searching for treasure. You, you weren't even searching for Christ. It just seems like it stumbled upon you. Maybe out of the blue, a coworker shared the, the gospel with you. Maybe someone invited you to church or some kind of special program or whatever, and you encountered Christ. You weren't even expecting it and looking for it. I think about my father-in-law. Many of you know him, Don Murray, who goes here. He was saved when he turned on a Billy Graham TV special, but he admittedly turned on the special to watch Johnny Cash. He was looking for Johnny, not Jesus. And he encountered Christ. Or perhaps you're like that second man, your journey, and you were searching for the truth like this merchant. It was his job to look for valuable pearls and finding one, he it put an end to all of his searching, and maybe you were kind of seeking. You were broken and desperate and hungry and thirsting and seeking, and you discovered Christ. You tried your own way, your own path, but then you discovered the man who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Both of these men made a discovery. Both of them were illumined by the Holy Spirit to see when they couldn't see. By God's grace, they discovered something that many people don't see. And they understood something of value that other people had missed. And once they found it, they realized there was no halfway to getting it. There was not a trying out of things. It was... All or nothing. They're going to have to risk everything. They were, they were going, in those moments, they were going to have to lose everything. They're going to have to sell everything in order to gain it. The man who discovers the treasure sells everything with joy. The man who discovers the pearl sells all of his pearls to buy it. And both men are willing to do it and they are glad to do it because of the thing, the treasure was of supreme value to them. This means that you look at everything in your life and, and you, you can say that nothing is more important to you than Jesus. Nothing. If, if it's a choice between that and Jesus, if it's a choice between this and Jesus, you will suffer the loss of anything to gain Jesus. I'm willing to give my life to him. I'm willing to make him Lord over all of my decisions, over my possessions, uh, Lord over my attitude, over my loved ones, over my hopes and my dreams, all of it. I'm just, I'm selling out, so to speak, to Jesus. This is what it looks like, he says, to come into the kingdom. So the question perhaps for us to think about this morning is, is have you come into the kingdom in this way? Have you sold out to Jesus as Lord of your life? A lot of people will answer yes. I've been found by Christ, I've been, I've been saved, and, and I would just remind you that through these parables in Matthew 13, you notice and remember that believers and non-believers will coexist together in the kingdom. In fact, the, the parable of the sower taught us that there will be many who have the appearance of being a Christian. They'll sprout up and they'll grow, but their heart is shallow, it's full of weeds and thorns, and eventually it proves that their faith was never real. So I'm not, I don't want to I'm not trying to cast doubt 
on, on, on you this morning, but I, I am asking you to examine your heart and life. In light of the, these parables, because there is a version of the gospel today that is being preached and unfortunately believe that you can keep your life and have Christ too. That you don't have to choose between that and Jesus. You can just keep whatever that is and have Jesus as well. You can keep your sinful lifestyle and have Jesus. You can still remain the king of your own kingdom and have Jesus. In other words, there's, there's a gospel out there that, that twists the gospel that we find here. There, there's a gospel that says uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure uh, hidden in a field which a man finds and he takes it home and he puts it alongside all of his other treasures. There's, there's a gospel that says that like a, a man who discovers a pearl of great value and, you know, he brokers a really great deal on it. I mean, he got it for a cheap in price. He got it for a steal and he uh, brings it home uh, less than it's worth and he adds it to all of his collection of other pearls. There is a gospel that is without commitment and without cost, a gospel of compromise and convenience, a gospel that cheapens the grace of God and cheapens the treasure who is Christ. And, and I would remind you, it is, it is no gospel at all. If this is our attitude about kingdom matters, that we are here merely today to affirm Jesus as king, along with ourselves, of course, as king, and just to enjoy both of, of those things, then can we really say that we've discovered the treasure who is Christ? That we've sold out to Jesus and that he is first? That he's worth sacrificing everything for? When we've really sacrificed very little. If Jesus is not Lord of our possessions and if he's not Lord of our time and if he's not Lord of our priorities, if he's not Lord of our thoughts and our morals and our values and our ethics, if he's not Lord of any of those things, then what exactly is he Lord of? And what exactly is he greater than in your life? There is no doubt that grace is free, but it is not cheap. The men who discover the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value realized that this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This, an immediate decision was required of them. A, a decision that called them to lay down everything to receive the only thing that really has value in this life. For some of you today, that opportunity is before you right now. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but open your eyes to see the treasure who is Christ. Open your eyes to this gospel that you've heard, the treasure who is Jesus Christ. Submit to him, follow him, lay down everything for him, and you'll find that he is worth more than anything you could ever imagine. Amen, church? 
Heavenly Father, thank you for these short parables, but that are so powerful speaking to our hearts today. We want to be able to sing this next song without the slightest bit of hesitation and hypocrisy. But we know, Lord, that is requiring a continuing work in our hearts and lives by your grace. And so, Lord, help us to help us in our faith, help us to believe, help us to know that you're the greatest treasure, our greatest treasure. And may we not just sing it, but may we respond in repentance joyfully and giving ourselves to you in surrender. We pray for those today that may be here and you're speaking to them and they're hearing this good news and struggling with it. Oh, Lord, work in their hearts. Help them to believe and come to you as their Savior and Lord today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.